is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. And this can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1102. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. When Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of God. Thanks, Terri-Ann. Um, so I'm Sam. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm part of the staff team here at Christchurch, and um, I am also an ordinand, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it means I'm training to be a vicar. Um, so, yep, that's, this is my life right now, reading lots of biblical books. Um, and I am going to be speaking this morning about the pursuit of joy and um, spirit-filled mission. But I'm going to take us back to 1992 to start this morning. I was 17, 
and um, I was living in Hove, which is a seaside town just next to Brighton, and I was getting ready for a journey, a very long journey. I had four travelling companions, my sister, who was 16, and her two friends, also 16, and my bestie called Laura, and we were travelling to a small remote Scottish island called Arran, which was 505 miles from home. Now, the reason we were going was for a pop concert. I have always loved music since I was very little, and I've got quite eclectic taste in music, I think, although I've, I've offended a couple of people recently in telling them I don't like jazz, so um, I'm sorry if you're a jazz fan. Um, I'm not. Um, but my, deep down, my core, I am a big pop music fan. Absolutely love it. I was very into New Kids on the Block, at the time, and I had travelled around the country to see them. To, I'd been to London, I'd been to see them wherever they were playing, basically. But my friend Laura and my sister's friend Angela, my favourite was Joey, bottom right corner. <laughs> um, my friend Laura and my sister's friend Angela were massive Wet 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 fans. And over the previous year, had leading up to 1992, had been influencing a change in my musical taste. And they succeeded. And um, I was a little bit obsessed. I had every album. I'd been to record fairs across Sussex to buy vinyls and all sorts of collectible items. And um, we'd been, like I said, we'd been to lots of different concerts. But there was a gig of all gigs coming up the Radio One Roadshow. And it was going to be hosted on a tiny island in Scotland. I still don't know why, apart from the fact that Wet 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 were from Scotland. Um, and we decided we were going to go. We were going to make this massive trek. I don't know what my parents were thinking, but they gave us permission. I was the eldest at 17, and I was responsible for four other people to travel across the country we travelled in cars, on buses, on trains, on ferries. I mean, it was absolutely epic. It took us nearly 20 hours to get there. And according to the man who then interviewed me to be on a Team Pop TV programme that was aired on Radio, uh, BBC Two, we had travelled the furthest of anybody to be there for that weekend. On the entire journey, I kid you not, we changed batteries often. We listened to their music on our Walkmans the whole way. We sang to the annoyance of all those travellers around us. And we talked incessantly of our love for the band. And each one of us, I mean, there was five of us, only four of them, each one of us had a slight crush on a different one of the band. I look at them now and I think, what was I thinking? <laughs> but I was young. Anyway... <laughs> We were very, very passionate, and we were very determined that we were going to make this journey. And, um, yeah, we weren't very prepared. We were five girls, two tents, and a couple of tickets, train tickets in our pockets, but we did it, and it was an incredible adventure. Oh, that's me! Yeah, I'm the one on the left. You might recognize me. In fact, I'm wearing really similar boots today to the ones I was wearing there. That's my sister next to me. And uh, Angela, she was partly responsible for the entire journey. And a friend, Julie, and Laura was taking the photo because back then you couldn't take selfies. 
So she was there with us. There's our two tiny tents as well. We just pitched up in a field full of sheep. And we doubled the size of the population of the island, basically. There were 4,000 people who lived on that island, and over 4,000 people arrived just to see this concert. Anyway, when we got back, we then relived the whole thing by watching it over and over again on the TV program that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> it was great. I move on. Um, so why am I telling you about this journey? Well, we were really passionate about the band. And we were really passionate about sharing the band with each other. Like, we talked about them all the time. We talked to anyone else who would listen as well. We tried to convert our friends away from other bands to follow where it didn't succeed. It was still just the five of us. Now, Paul, who we, or Saul, as we know him in this passage, himself was about to set out on a journey in a very different context and different circumstances. But he was setting out for a similar reason because he was very passionate about why he was going. So a little bit of background about who Saul was. We know that he was Jewish and he would have had a deep devotion to God he was a law follower, and he would have studied what we know as Old Testament writings, um, and it would have been a lifelong passion of his. He was a Pharisee, and um, he believed that he could bring about God's kingdom through making more rules to follow and laws to abide by. He believed that Jewish people were le- losing their freedom and their, to idolatry and immorality, and he believed that if he... Um, If people, including himself, could live lives as holy as the priests of the temple, then God's presence would return. So he had a purpose. And while he was in Jerusalem, he was actually from Tarsus. I don't know why he was in Jerusalem, but he was in Jerusalem. He was probably there to worship at the temple. Um, He saw this movement that we know as the early church to be against the way of life of Judaism that he knew. And he took it upon himself to... um, to think about rounding up these new followers of Jesus um, that he'd been hearing about. He wanted to get rid of them. He wanted um, to imprison them or get rid of them completely. And he had permission from the priests um, to do this. And he felt that if he did this, he would be able to start to restore God's kingdom. But as he was making his journey from Jerusalem to Damascus, we see that God had other plans. One thing... Um, we know is that, like I say, he was a devout follower of, Ju- of Judaism. So on his journey, he would have been praying and reading scripture and preparing himself for the encounters that he was hoping to have in helping other people change their opinions in who they believe Jesus to be. But on that journey, he encountered Jesus, something that he wasn't expecting, completely interrupted his life. And it was done in quite a dramatic way. And we see that quite often in the Bible, don't we? That um, when God wants to get someone's attention, and even in our own lives, something dramatic might happen. And he comes face to face with Jesus in an encounter that only he can see. So his companions could hear, but only he could see what was happening. He was utterly stunned by the experience. The vision was so bright that he lost his sight. um, And... It was overwhelming, and he was left silent, unable to speak, unable to eat or drink for three whole days while he was contemplating what on earth had happened to him. Now, during this period in the story, we are also introduced to Ananias, 
who I think is an unsung hero in this story, actually. Um, I just want to clarify that there is another Ananias in the Bible, in Acts 5, who died. This is a different one, and basically, his name's like Harry or something, because it was just a really common name in the Bible. Um, but this guy is, is introduced to us just in this passage, and he has like a really important role. And he's only mentioned again once in the New Testament in Acts 22 when um, Paul goes on to talk about the importance of this person in his life. Um, So Ananias has a vision from God. He's praying and he hears the voice of God speak to him and deliver a message of something that he wants him to do. He wants him to go and visit Saul. This guy who's rounding up people like Ananias. He wants him to go and tell him that actually he wants to use him because he is a chosen instrument to carry the name of God to those that don't know him. Rightly so, he's not so sure, and he kind of checks in again just to make sure that God's got it right. But he listened to that attentive call, and he did what he was asked. I was thinking over this week about the similarities of the story that we heard last week of Philip and the Ethiopian and um, Ananias and how Philip and Ananias both show that example of being attentive to God's call and how important that is going to become throughout the rest of this story. So he makes his journey to Straight Street, which I absolutely love the name Straight Street. (laughs) It's a long road. And he explains to Saul why he's there. He explains that he's had this vision and that he's been called to go and share with Saul what happened. And whilst he's there, he prays for him and, he is, and, and Saul is filled himself with the Holy Spirit and the scales fall from his eyes and he has this incredible like transformation, revelation moment. And then when he's regained his strength, he then goes, and this is in, in chapter 20, in verse 20, he goes and spends time with the disciples, so with Ananias and with more of the disciples. Because he's been told by Ananias he's going to be used, but he needs to be prepared. So he needs to build up his strength, and he needs to spend time preparing himself for the journey and what that next stage looks like. So some key things bring out so Ananias I think is really really important he was attentive to God and listened when he was given a task and and he had to be open to what God was calling him to do he needed to be courageous and he could only find that courage and strength to go because God filled him and allowed him to do that and Saul we see is struck stunned and needs time to reflect on what's happened he spends time listening to what Ananias has to say to him and, um, and really reflecting on, well, I, would, I think he must have been reflecting on what, um, and what had happened, and this big interruption in his life. So for us, this passage this morning, what do we take from it and how does it encourage us in the pursuit of joy in spirit-filled mission? When we think about Ananias coming alongside Saul, it made me think of something I shared last week about the importance of having people willing to come alongside you to explain the gospel or your experience or like what it means to have Jesus in your life. 
And um, for those of you that weren't here and for those of you that were, a quick recap. So I did an alpha course 20 years ago and my alpha group at the time was made up of a mixture of like men, women, older, younger people. And, and within that, there was a small group of women who felt really passionate about coming alongside people in this early stage of their Christian journey. And they gathered other people who had similar passion to do that. And um, they spent a whole year weekly meeting with myself and a few other new, people, new Christians from this Alpha course. Because they had heard from God the importance, and they knew themselves from their own life experiences, how um, crucial it was at that first kind of stage of transformation and early formation into your Christian journey to have those people journeying alongside you because it's all new, you don't really know what it means. And there's this whole process that you go through when you become a new Christian um, of, you know, often it's born out of relationship with other people. And then from that, it's that understanding of what Jesus' love actually means in your life. And then there's other factors that come in of transformation within us, like how we choose to live and, and what that then looks like. And then we move on to other things like wanting to deepen our understanding of theological kind of writing. So it's this whole kind of process that you go through, and it's an ongoing journey through our lives. But unless we've got those people who are willing to be attentive and step out to do that, the journey is just so much harder. And we see, like I said in verse 20, that that's something that Saul did. He, he spent time with the disciples. We don't know long, how long he was there with them. But these people had experienced Jesus in their life. They had walked alongside him. So they were the best people. They were best placed to have those conversations. What does that look like for us in our daily kind of mission? And I feel like mission is a word that we that conjures up these kind of we need to be going off to wide, far wide places or, you know, something bigger than actually what I, I see mission to mean. I think it's more about where God has positioned us. So where our feet are, wherever our feet are, that is where we have been positioned by God to be. Whether that's in Feltham, in London, in our jobs, or wherever it is, we are positioned by God, and this is our mission field. And each one of us, like Saul, has a story to tell. We've each of us encountered Jesus in our life. And if we haven't recognized that yet, there might be a, a curiosity that's sparking within us that is one, uh, leading us to ask questions about, you know, why do I come to church? Or why, am I, why have I got these questions in my life right now? And I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to talk about faith within our culture and society. You see, we live in a culture where People are seen to be doing okay without God. And the secular world gives a false impression of what our lives should look like. We're sold a fairy tale lifestyle. And when things go wrong and people face a personal crisis and their world, doesn't, world view doesn't fit with that, what do they do? Um, I don't know this person and I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but I think it's just the overwhelming sense of sadness that... Yesterday, Caroline Flack took her own life, and I wasn't, I didn't realize I was going to feel like this, but I found, I found it really sad. 
She was 40, and from the outside, she led what looked like a perfect life. She had fame, she had money, and things that like things were going well. But she was a woman in turmoil. Something happened in her private life that was then scrutinized in the public eye, and her life turned upside down, and she was living with a shame that she should not have been living with. She was isolated from family and friends, and that's not okay. That is not an okay way for our society to, inco- like, to allow that to happen, basically. She felt hopeless, and that the only way out was to take her own life. Where we stand, we know that Jesus came to take away that shame. He came that we, so that we could have hope, and that we can share that hope with other people because we want to live in that freedom of love and hope and release people from the isolation that they feel. So we have responsibility as Christians to come alongside people wherever they are and we need to be able to share the gospel with them, the good news that we find and the hope that we find in the gospel with those people. And we are reminded in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 We always need to be prepared to do that. We need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us the reason for the hope that we have. And we need to do it with gentleness and respect. If we think about when Peter was actually preaching, it was around the same time that Saul had been converted and was following God's call. It was a really changing culture. It was a culture of instability. There was disillusionment amongst the people. There was political unrest. And Peter encouraged the Christians of the early church to be prepared. And if we look around, we're in not a too dissimilar time right now. We see loneliness at one of its highest rates. We see fragmented communities. Poverty is on the rise. There's instability within the government. Mental health issues. I mean, I could go on. The list is endless. And it's a time away. It's over 2,000 years ago from that time that Peter was telling the disciples to be prepared and early Christians to be prepared. We're in exactly the same situation now. And I believe that God is positioning us. I believe that we are positioned right where God wants us to be to be able to do just that, to be part of the change. We're positioned in our workplaces, our friendship circles, our families and our neighbourhoods. And we are called to be instruments that carry God's name wherever we go. It takes time and it takes preparation to be bold enough to do it, to be bold enough to share our story with people. People have got preconceived ideas about God and faith and religion. And there are always lots of questions that are real red herrings, but we need to see beyond that. We need to be willing to discuss our faith and what it means to us and the freedom that we have within it. We need to be thinking about the questions before they've arisen, but also being attentive to the Holy Spirit when they arise. Questions about our faith and the way we do things the way we do because of the faith we have. And I'm not, I mean, I feel really passionate about this, but I have to say that I still find it really, really difficult to have these conversations myself. Very few of my family are Christians, and it's very difficult to, you know, even at Christmas, like the easiest time to talk about Jesus, actually probably one of the hardest times to talk about it. But I think it's something that 
for me personally, I am setting myself this challenge this year that I'm going to do it more. I'm going to step out. I'm going to believe that God will carry me when I make those decisions and that he will fill me with the Holy Spirit in order to do it. Because my life story is one of transformation. From where I started 20 years ago to where I am now, my life is completely different. And it's only different because of the hope that I have in Jesus. So we need to spend time preparing and we need to be investing in ourselves and each other to prepare ourselves for these questions. We need to be filling, asking God to fill us daily with a renewed spirit to equip us for where he wants us to be. And like I said, I think we need to reflect on our own life experiences in the good and the not so good, where we've seen Jesus working in both of those things, but we can still carry that joy of the gospel with us. So my pattern is erratic. I wish it wasn't, but it is. I am a morning person most of the time, to the annoyance of my family. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before. I sing way too much in the morning and moan mainly about what cereal we're going to eat but, or anything. But that's my time in the morning. I love to get up early and before everybody else. And I have a little chair in the study and it's really cute. And I've got a lamp and a plant and it looks really nice. And that's my prayer space. No one else uses it. <laughs> but that's my space. And I like to get up at six. And I will listen to some worship music on my headphones because then it's really close to my head. I'm like, I love this. I'm engaged. And, and that brings me into God's presence. And then I'll read scripture. And then I'll spend time praying and reflecting on my day before and the day ahead. I can't do it in the evening because I'm a terrible night person. And as soon as I sit down, I fall asleep. And um, my family will also vouch for that. There are videos it's embarrassing um, so that's my time that's when I love to spend my time preparing, reflecting and you know I, if I'm really, really organised I can get at least an hour of that time in the morning and it sets me up for the day ahead and then I am reminded in that day of things that God and I have spoken about in the morning or a worship song that I listen to that has like a really special kind of thing like this morning for example I woke up feeling quite anxious actually and um, I just had this song, Waves, just kind of going through my head. And, and that was just amazing because I was then able to listen to that song this morning in my time before I came to church. So I don't know when your best time to do that is, but I think it's really important that we do set time aside daily, asking God to renew us, to refresh us, to remind us of, um, I've just thought, I'm definitely going for Anglican preaching. I've got three R's in there. That was brilliant. <laughs> Didn't even plan it. You're reminding us of how God is working in our lives. And I think it's really important, as I said, that we do this as individuals, but I think that we need to be doing it as community as well. I think that's just the most important I think there are two common moments in a person's life when a faith conversation might arise. And if we've had time preparing and we've spent time reflecting, we're going to be really ready and equipped to answer those questions. And the most likely questions are, they'll come out of a place of someone facing a personal crisis or a world event or natural disaster that there is no explanation 
And you may not be able to actually answer the question, but you can answer the person because the person is seeking an understanding of something that is outside of their worldview. And I think it's really important in those times that we're able to demonstrate our faith because they may have come to you because you have demonstrated your faith to them previously. You know, if you work alongside someone and you've worked alongside them for three years and they don't know you're a Christian, I mean, firstly, what are you doing? And secondly, they need to know because when they're in these situations, you're the person they need to be able to talk to about getting that different worldview. And it's important that we we do it, as Peter instructs us, that we do it with gentleness and respect. So we listen to the question. Like I said, we may not be able to answer it, but we are ready to answer the person. If we look at the example of Jesus, he had so many conversations with people. He didn't have the same conversation with people. He didn't stand there and say, I'm your salvation everything's good like it was about the situation that they found themselves in so an example a few examples of you know when he was at the well and he met the woman who had loads of partners you know he didn't talk about relationship issues with her when he met Zacchaeus I always get this wrong tax collector right right he want he felt it was better to sit and have a meal with Zacchaeus because he needed to talk to him a little bit more so it's about you know some of our conversations will be fleeting like the will situation, but other conversations will be more relational, where we can sit and have a meal, or we can like, go for a drink or whatever. But the most important thing in that situation is to be ready and to be prepared. See, I think if we want to see lasting change in our culture, and we want to see spiritual renewal in our own lives and revival happening where the kingdom is growing and transforming and that society is being transformed, that will start with us as individuals. It's only ever going to start with us as individuals. And we will only see a lasting change if, like, through spiritual renewal. We can't see it any other way. We are surrounded by influences. We are influenced by what shoes we should wear, what phone we should have, what clothes you know, what our body shape should look like, what food we should eat, whether we should be vegan or not vegan, or, you know, all sorts of different things. Each one of us has that opportunity to be, opportunity to be an influencer where we are. And um, I really shy away from this. I've actually just come off social media, mainly because I'm a watcher rather than a doer. I don't, I don't know how to use it. My kids get so frustrated with me because I always say, I really want to post a picture on Instagram but I've forgotten how to do it. And they're like, you've had it for a year. And I just don't know. So I've just deleted it, basically, because I'm useless. But we have opportunities within those spheres of our influence when we are on social media. How often do we use those things to share our faith? What holds us back in those situations? Often it's the sort of an awkward conversation with a friend or you know, rejection, rejection may be. But I think that we need to stand, like I said, where we're positioned with those opportunities to influence people to actually show that this is the real way of life and not what's going on around, not the fairy tale that's being promised. I mean, we, 
That makes me sound like I'm like really miserable. <laughs> Life's not a fairy tale. That's not what I mean. But I just mean the reality of life is that sometimes it's hard. And where does our help come from? For us, our help comes from the Lord. And if we didn't have that, where would we be standing right now? We'd be in different situations. Spiritual renewal was really important to Jesus and his disciples. So it really needs to be important for us too. So we need to be considering this week. Where are we positioned and where are our places of influence? So those are two slightly different things. We've got our influence position and we've got our daily position, I think. I think, as I was saying, that it's not just about our own individual time with Jesus as well. It's about us as a community gathering around each other and sharing our stories Because if we share them with people that we know and that we love and that love us, then that helps us to kind of frame it in a way that we can then share it with other people in a much easier, easier way. And so that's why being here as part of a church community is so important. I believe that this is where, like I say, it takes shape. That um, formation really, really takes shape. And as Andy was saying, you know, we've got the opportunity to be joining small groups now where we can build on what we, we do with our time in this, in this room. I was working out a percentage. It's quite small that in a week of 168 hours, you probably only spend about 1.5% of our week within our church community. If you join a small group, you're going to double that within a week. And that's, that's like great, you know, and we should be doing this more often where we, where we get to meet each other We can hold each other accountable. We can talk about our own daily practices, what's working, what isn't working. I think it's really important that we, as a a community, join in. We want to join in with each other where God has positioned us, ready and prepared to be part of this cultural change. We need to take time to delight in our own spiritual story and each other's spiritual stories. And we need to allow ourselves the opportunity to encounter him in our everyday so that we can share that encounter with other people. But we can only do that with the Holy Spirit working within us. We can only do that by asking for God's transforming spirit to be working in us and getting us ready. We see in the Bible how God brings people together from all walks of life. Saul and Ananias were at completely different ends of the spectrum. But they came together, they had a joint purpose by the end of that meeting because Saul had come, uh, Ananias had come to Saul to tell him, He was going to be the carrier of the word of God. We saw it in Philip and the Ethiopian last week, also from very different backgrounds. But people are brought together because God wants them to be brought together to continue their journey and to build up his kingdom, basically. So as I I kind of bring my talk to a close, um, I want us to think about our daily practices. What does that look like? How are we preparing ourselves for where God has positioned us to be? And how can we stand and encourage each other in our journeys? So the Church of England have um, uh, announced this initiative this year called This Time Tomorrow. And it's, um, it's basically thinking about where will we be this time tomorrow? What does that, where does our life take us? at 5 to 12 on a Monday, or 5 to 12 on a Tuesday. And 
what will we be doing and how can we be reflecting who Jesus is during that time? So what I'm going to suggest is that for the next few minutes, lead up to 12 o'clock, I think, we're going to just turn to the person next to you or one person, you, you know, one person, like two of you. That's two, isn't it? Yeah, one and one, two. And just tell that person where you're going to be this time tomorrow. And I would love it if we could pray for each other for where we're going to be this time tomorrow.